Hello, hello, and welcome to today's special, very special podcast. Why is it special? Very special. Because Jess Staines from Curry Curriculum and I got together to record this podcast to share on each other's podcast platform. Jess and I have been chatting for a number of weeks now about creating something special for family daycare educators. So I want to share a little bit about Jess. Jess uh, operates and is the director of Curry Curriculum. She is a Wiradjuri woman and an early childhood teacher. Jess has worked in early childhood education for over 15 years for a range of service providers in both urban and regional communities. Whilst working in early childhood education, Jess naturally found herself supporting educators to become culturally aware and confident in embedding Aboriginal perspectives in their program. In 2017, Jessica featured on Reconciliation Australia's Narangawali platform, where she advised educators in several videos on how they could begin their journey. Jess is passionate about conciliation, social justice and anti-bias and encourages all early learning services to sign up for a wrap. In 2018, Jess was supported by Early Childhood Education Australia, an educational experience to take part in the World Forum Foundation's Global Leaders Program, and she later became the national representative for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. This experience allowed Jessica to network with First Nations people around the globe, learn about their programs and how we can potentially benefit from them in in the Australian context. Jess was the Bulung Programs Ambassador for Educational Experience from 2018 to 2020. Jess has written for several early childhood education journals and texts including The Anti-Bias Approach in Early Childhood, The Aboriginal Early Childhood Practice Guide, and Educator Yarns. In 2019, Jess became the Aboriginal Early Childhood Advisor for TV's Play School and collaborated on the making of the Kia Doll. She is advised on many episodes to ensure the inclusion of Aboriginal perspectives and is especially proud of the show's acknowledgement of country episode. Jess is passionate about having Aboriginal culture reflected, included and celebrated on TV to foster a sense of pride in young Aboriginal children today. Each year, Jessica supports vulnerable and disadvantaged Aboriginal families through running the Koori Curriculum Christmas Drive. This drive has been running for four years, and in that time, Jess has partnered with the Petersham TAFE to support and has supported, sorry, hundreds of families within the Inner West. In 2021, Jess became part of the AETIS Education Advisory Committee and Hippie Reference Group, where she continues to support the development of resources and programs that support Aboriginal children and families in the early years. So after hearing that, I'm absolutely certain that you can guess the calibre of resource, knowledge, information that Jess can share with family daycare educators and educators, not only across Australia, but the globe. So without further ado, let's jump straight into this podcast because it is a cracker. Hi, everyone. Welcome to our podcast. And by our podcast, I mean mine, Educator Yarns and Be Carded Education's podcast with Victoria Edmund. Victoria, you want to say hey? Hello, everybody. 
we are yarning together today for each other's podcast, which is a very special episode. Um, and our collaboration has sort of brought us together because we're both really passionate about finding ways to embed Aboriginal perspectives in our program and specifically trying to support family daycare educators to do so. Um, Victoria, do you want to yarn a little bit about your podcast? Sure. Our big hearted podcast is relatively uh, new in its infancy stages. Uh, and we are covering a range of topics that are specific for family daycare educators because we often find that family daycare educators miss out and uh, we wanted to make something specifically for uh, family daycare because it is such a unique environment and setting that educators find themselves in and when the opportunity to chat with you Jess came up I was so excited to be able to make that connection because uh, Indigenous perspectives uh, definitely is a struggle to find space for that within the family daycare realm because we're always so spread out and in such diverse areas, uh, it can be difficult to know where to start. So being able to bridge that gap a little bit uh, is an exciting prospect for us here at Big Hearted. Yeah, and we have been approached at the Koori Curriculum over the last few years, um, well, since we started Career Curriculum, really, try, by different schemes who are looking to support their educators to embed Aboriginal perspectives in their program. And they've all had very similar challenges and obstacles. And I thought it was time that we started to think about developing some specific resources for this space that weren't just, you know, washed down things from a, a preschool or long daycare setting. So um, this collaboration is something that I'm really, really excited about, that we're able to support each other to to reach this shared goal that we both have. Um, and for those of you that are big hearted um, podcast listeners, uh, the Koori curriculum is an Aboriginal early childhood consultancy and we support educators to connect with their local community and build their cultural capacity in this space. Um, I'm a Wiradjuri woman and early childhood teacher and I'm the director of the Koori curriculum. Uh, and Victoria, you wear lots of different hats as well, don't you? Oh, I wear all of the hats, Jess, all of them. I'm an approved provider of Rainbow Bridge Family Daycare, educational leader, nominated supervisor, coordinator. I was an educator uh, and I run Big Hearted Education too. So as well as being a mama to two beautiful children who are 21 and 19 now. So I've been across the board. I've worked in uh, out-of-hours school care, long daycare, and then found myself in family daycare, which is where my heart rests because I think this kind of education in the smaller numbers creates beautiful connections, really deeply felt connections, which I think is the cornerstone of early childhood education and family daycare is most definitely able to provide that. So being able to connect in with Koori curriculum and you, Jess, has been really exciting because I feel like there is such scope for educators to really knuckle down and delve deep into how it might look in their service. We have this ability to be able to do what we know is right for the children in our group without having to meet, you know, many, many children like you do in a long daycare service. And I think this lends itself very much to that um, community feel that is very prevalent in Indigenous Australia. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And you're probably best 
place to answer this question, but what does embedding Aboriginal perspectives look like in family daycare and how is that different to long daycare, for example? What are the nuances? Um, well, I, I speak from my experience when I was a family daycare educator, uh, how I embedded it was we walked on country every day. We would go out and specifically notice the animals that were in our community. And uh, we used to I used to teach the children to look for the tawny frog mouths. We have a nesting pair that live in our trees just outside my my house. So we would go and tawny hunt every single day. Um, And then we would also look at the different things that happen in our community, in our environment. We've got the hoop pines um, and the the massive, massive um, pine nuts that come from those. Um, they're a massive hazard to walk underneath. If one of them fell on you, you'd be in trouble. Um, but we would, uh, you know, grind those down to make powder and flour and whatnot out of those as well and take great pleasure in collecting them. Not every single year were they there. So I chose to um, really share that knowledge with the children from what comes from the land. And I feel like family daycare educators have a lot more scope to be able to do that because doing excursions, uh, whether it's on foot or via vehicle, but you definitely have the ability to do it on foot, um, allows you to really bring the children's awareness to what's tangibly in front of them. I think family daycare educators who struggle to feel like they can embed these practices into their service could actually look at starting in that that capacity in what's actually happening around them. Um, And I think that's different for long daycare because when you are going out with four children as opposed to 24 children, um, you you end up herding children (laughs) when you've got that many children. But when you've got just the four and you're holding that calm space with the children, there's so much more ability to be able to deeply engage in things when you're out with the children. I feel like that's the big difference in family daycare to long daycare. Um, There are significant issues that educators face in terms of being able to connect, like how do I know what I'm doing is right uh, or not tokenistic? That's quite often one of the biggest barriers that we face in family daycare because we have to source our own um, learning and we're not funded. So um that's what I think is a big, big issue that we can look towards overcoming um, with our collaboration and some really clever ways of, of utilising services that are there for us to be able to utilise. Yeah, I totally agree. I think one of the biggest barriers is definitely the, the budgeting of being able, whether it's to engage in professional development opportunities or to collect resources and the tools that you need to be able to share culture. I think that seems to be what I hear echoed around the profession as being one of the biggest obstacles that are trying to overcome that um, and trying to not do it on a service budget, but a budget that a family daycare educator has to be able to access um, Mm. these opportunities. Uh, What would you say are some of the biggest barriers that that you come across? Uh, I think it's quite often people are just unsure 
They don't have confidence in being able to deliver. They don't want to do the wrong thing, um, which I absolutely sat in that pocket myself. I didn't want to do the wrong thing. And so for a long time, I did nothing. Uh, and then, um, and I know that's a very common theme for a lot of people, as well as not knowing where to start, or you may make approaches, people may approach, um, you know, Indigenous community members and, or, or email uh, services and, and just not hear back. Uh, and it's, it's because there's a lack of awareness around the process of how to um, ask for help. Uh, and and it's not about uh, what can you do for me. It's about what can I offer to you first. What can I learn from you first, and then be able to ask for assistance. Um, how can I be of service to you? And I think that gets lost somewhere in translation. And um, I think educators feel like oh, I just don't have enough time to do this to devote to this because I'm running a business I've got my own family like I'm just there's so many other things on my plate at the moment and this just gets put in the too hard basket uh, I think that's probably the main yeah issue that educators face so like you think like time budget and not sure how to connect with community or trying to find the right people in the community to yarn with I think that seems to be what what I've come up against as well and I think look in terms of time there are heaps like in, in being able to build your own capacity and your own knowledge base because I feel the lack of knowledge that educators have often is what prevents them as well from sharing in, um, Aboriginal perspectives in their program that they feel that they don't know enough on their own that they're not then sure how to share with children if they're coming from a place of not knowing so by listening to podcasts like Educator Yarns and Be Carded um, Education Podcasts I think there is heaps of little tips bits of information there plus there's heaps of Aboriginal podcasts out there so when you're washing up the dishes or you're driving in the car to pick kids up from school or whatever it may be when you're in the shower you know whack on a podcast and you've just got that there you know and little bits of information will resonate at different times and it's easy to access it's easy to consume I love podcasts for myself I've always got one playing in the background while I'm doing my emails or whatever and then I'll just drop things down as they come to me um, I think that's they're, they're a great way to be able to connect in terms of budget I think not everything has to cost money as you sort of said you know start with taking children out on country around you where is your local ecosystem mm. you know, how can you learn about the keystone plants and that are endemic to your area and the roles and the purposes that they play so when you're walking out on country and you know you're walking past some lemon myrtle that you're able to say oh what does this taste like and did you know that aboriginal people used to use this in a drink when they had a sore throat so it's just those little bits that you can point out and talk about it doesn't have to be a huge massive lesson plan we're not trying to teach about aboriginal culture as if we're the topic the theme or the interest we're trying to embed culture within in a way that it adds value and mm. that it's not tacked on and separate from everything else that we do. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the stories um, that I remember Auntie Ruby telling was about the willy wagtail or jingery jingery and um, it was he means danger, danger. <laughs> and when you look at how the willy wagtail moves and dances, um, it is very much a danger, 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 danger as he moves his little tail from left to right. And that was one of the things that we that I shared with the children because often when you're out in, in particularly in this time of year in summer, 
there's brown snakes, there's other snakes, there's other bits and pieces that you need to be aware of. So that was what Auntie Ruby shared with me and then I share that with the children. And it is very much about just sharing those little bits. That's where you just need to start and it costs you nothing to learn that stuff. I actually found the app, um, the New South Wales AECG Languages app, um, and that's a brilliant resource. And obviously it's not going to be relevant or as relevant in some other areas because the language is different, but it's a place to start. Um, it's It's got a, a dictionary which you can look at the words and then it has a translator which tells you how to say the word too, um, mm-hmm. which I, I just think is amazing and that's free. It's a you free resource. You can share reason. those languages for sure. So just have a copy of the IAXIS, the Aboriginal Lands Map, and it's a way that you can share the diversity of First Nations peoples. Like we're not... Aboriginal full stop you know every Aboriginal nation is its own country in its own right with its own languages and so forth so exploring language through these online dictionaries and platforms is just one way that you're able to show the diversity of our country's Indigenous peoples and as well like looking at language stuff Spotify has a great Aboriginal languages um, song playlist which again is free you know there are um, shows like Little J and Big Cuz that you can access um, which is a great Aboriginal animation um play school who I have the honor of being able to do some cultural advising for have some great um episodes that embed indigenous perspectives that are available on ABC iView on demand not that you know we're going to sit kids in front of a screen but they're they are great when you're thinking about well what is how do we introduce an acknowledgement of country to children in a way that's not abstract, in a way that they will mm. understand what it what what is an acknowledgement and what do we mean by traditional owners or custodians of the land? And the play school acknowledgement of country gives us the language, it, it steps us through. So we can use those resources intentionally in our in our program as well. Yeah, most definitely. And and like learning simple things too, like the difference between a welcome and an acknowledgement uh, are, are massively important. I've been places where I've seen people do a welcome to country and it's like, oh, you're, that's not okay for you to do that. Um, you need to be doing an acknowledgement of country. Um, so just like educating yourself and it doesn't cost anything but your time to do that, that sort of stuff. And I get really excited to learn new things. And just in this conversation here, looking at that New South Wales ACG app, you could learn that and then say, well, what is the word on Yugenbear country for that, mm. you know, ant or whatever. And you could go on an exploring mission yourself to find that information. Uh, and you don't have, it doesn't have to be, as you say, in depth, but touching on it on the daily I think is going to be really important. And it for you as an educator who has wanted to embed perspectives but hasn't known where to start, if you choose one aspect, this is what I'm going to look at and then I'm going to embed that daily or weekly and feel more confident with it, then it's going to open the pathway and doorway for other things to come in and other ideas. And then when you start asking questions in, you know, social media groups or approaching curriculum or other places, it's going to then give you a little bit of knowledge to start with and then you build from there and you you can include more from there and you never know what's going to present itself to you when you're ready to have it presented to you as well. Um, there's been a multitude of things in my life that I've walked past 
every day or every week and not seen it because I wasn't ready to learn it yet. So when you start on that learning journey, you will be really surprised what shows up at the right time for you to be able to utilize more too. Yeah, I totally agree. And it's, and it's also for community. Sometimes you'll listen to the same uncle talk three times and it's the (laughs) same yarn and so forth, but things resonate with you differently at different points in your life and you understand things in a, in a new perspective. And I've, I've definitely felt that this last year since becoming a mum, things touch me and um, connect with me very differently since, since having my daughter. So you just see things um, from the perspective of wherever you are on your journey at any given time. That's right. So I know that one of the questions we get asked a lot, and I'm sure you do as well, is how educators can make things authentic and not tokenistic. And I feel like that word tokenism is one that really haunts early childhood educators, that they really want to do this well, that they want to be respectful, that they want it to be meaningful. Um, And the idea of something being seen as stereotypical or offensive or token really puts them off from beginning or or sharing what they're doing or asking for feedback and asking for advice. Mm -hmm. For me, what makes things authentic is that when you've taken time to to understand. So we get asked a lot um, about dot painting whether it's okay or not okay for educators to dot and for me it's not about what you do it's why and how you're doing it so why are you wanting to share dot painting how are you going to offer that experience to children what do you know about it um, and dot painting is what we refer to as the Papunya Tula artist movement which started at Papunya in the Northern Territory which was the mission and dot paintings were done from a um, topographical perspective like at that bird's eye view looking down over the top of something and they were maps of communities in which families had been removed from before they were placed on the mission and it was a way that they could document their stories and and share their culture and their knowledge with their children who didn't have the privilege of growing up on their on their mother country so um, that's the the concept and dot painting itself and on canvas it's a contemporary art movement it's not traditional so in terms of protocols of dot painting it's not that you can't dot you are you are welcome to do dot painting it's not the dot itself that is um sacred I guess it's the stories so it's not about it's about not recreating a piece of artwork it's about understanding the concept behind it not having a cookie cutter approach where you're Mm. trying to pick something up and put dump it into your program or practice but having authentic provocations whether that's a postcard that you've purchased of a um, of a dot painting that's cost you $5, but you've shown that reciprocity, you've remunerated the artist for their work and you're displaying it there for children and you're sharing the story behind the artwork and then you're saying to them, how about we do a painting of of our community here? So for me, that's authentic. It's meaningful. You've got an authentic resource there. You've taken the time to understand the the principles of dot painting yourself. It's slow. It's meaningful. It's connected. You're making connections and making it meaningful for children in your place, in your context. That is really different to having a cardboard cut out of a boomerang, some cotton buds and red, black and yellow paint and encourage children to do some dots on it because it's NAIDOC week and you need to do something Aboriginal, you know. So, it's again, it's not about whether you can or can't dot. It's about why 
and yeah. how you're doing it. So yeah. for me, that's what what resonates. What about for you, Victoria? A hundred percent. Like it, it, I cringe when I see that stuff because it does scream that someone hasn't put a great deal of thought into what they're going to do and they're only doing it in NAIDOC week because it's NAIDOC week and it's something that we should be doing or, you know, it's like when we get the leprechauns and all that sort of stuff happening and and what what context does that have to children? If there hasn't been prior learning to that, what context does it have for the children? It's just another thing to do. So uh, to move away from that tokenism, for me, I had to really look at um, what it meant for me to be on Yugen Bear country and to share that with the children when we were out on country. And I steered away from artwork personally because I didn't, I, I'm, I feel like the children do better artwork than what I do. So for, <laughs> I, I, I don't always get to be able to give these beautiful role models for the children. And so they just did their thing, but I would, my, avoidance of tokenism was real life aspects so we spent a lot of time gardening and um, you know bringing native bees into the garden and providing um, you know you know things for our native flora and fauna um, that can assist them so having um, bird baths and bits of water around the place for the small insects because even those little friends matter and need help in the summer when it's drought and all that sort of stuff. So for me, it was always creating real life experience that the children could then put their own interpretations on. Um, and, and, and we live in an area where we get the bird wing butterfly, which is um, an endangered species, and they only survive off one particular vine. So a few years ago, we had a whole heap of them, like we've never seen that many before. So the children and I then started looking into what that actual vine was, what environment does it need to grow in, uh, can we plant it here? And unfortunately, on my property, there wasn't a perfect space for it, um, but up the road there was. So we we put some vines up there for the for the butterflies up there. And, and that was that involved me finding out about that particular vine and what it needed. And I was able to share that information with the children. Mm -hmm. So that continues on for them because it's a lived experience for them. And that's, I think, how you get away from tokenism by making it authentic and something that they can interpret and put their own meaning onto. Mm -hmm. um, uh, in terms of that too, how, how do you find that because you can sometimes come up with opposition um, to what you're sharing, so how do you go around manoeuvring oppositions and being able to take those barriers away, Jess? How, how would you suggest that educators could do that? Um, what do you mean oppositions to sharing, like things that, like I've that I would put out there and people you get conflicting advice over is that what you mean yeah there's there's that aspect and then there's also the inherent racism that we can sometimes come across in particularly older generations um mm -hmm. you know and so you might have families that oh we don't want to do any of that and <laughs> like it is a reality and unfortunately it is it is something that we do come across. So it would be the oppositions to sharing culture and sharing, um, in you know, the perspectives of First Nations people um, as well as as the way you took that that question as well because that's a valid yeah. question. 
Um, I think for me, since starting the career curriculum, which is very, very public on Facebook and podcasts and Insta and all of those things, um, we do attract people. I always think, why are you following an, an Aboriginal page if you're racist and ignorant and you don't like our content? Like, why are you following us? Um, but we have had pushback, particularly around dates and things that are controversial, like the 26th of January. Yep. Um, and we're sort of sharing that it's like for us, it's an invasion day and survival day. It's a day of mourning. Um, and we'll, we'll constantly get people that will say, why don't you just get over it? Or, you know, if you don't like what the English have given you, why don't you go back to living on the land with your stick huts and blah, blah, blah. No, you won't because you know that what we've given you is best. Like, you know, like we just get absolute ridiculous um, comments. Most of the time they're trolls. Um, but recently we actually had an educator that was in one of our groups saying some really ignorant, unsettling things. Oh, sorry. I don't know if you heard that bang. We'll have to edit that out. <laughs> um, yeah, some really ignorant things. And I and I was shocked by it because I knew this person to be an educator. And so a colleague of mine, we actually thought, well, what are we going to do about it? Yeah. So we actually tracked down. We were like sleuths, right? We tracked down online. Um, the service that this educator worked at and we made contact with the directors and let them know what this person was saying and what was really concerning for me is that um, by this services website we were able to clearly see that they were working with multiple um, Indigenous educators and the service actually had a high number of Aboriginal children attending. It was evident the location of the service the pictures on the website, their social media page, it was very, very evident that this person was working in an Indigenous community. And that really made me concerned. I've never done it before. Um, and I hope I never have to do it again. But I was really concerned, A, for that educator's well-being, because I thought this is really odd behaviour. Mm -hmm. And secondly, um, for the educators and the children and the families that this person was working with, because what was being said was just appalling. Um, I think a lot of it comes from personal experiences and we have to understand that everyone has had different personal experiences and racism and stereotypes stereotypes often are negative and it's normally because a person has had a limited experience with a person from a specific cultural group and that experience mm -hmm. has been negative and so they've painted everyone with the same brush, brush so to speak um, and so it's about you know professionally trying to broaden that person's worldview and their perspective and a lot of the things that they've they've been told and educated which are which we know are incorrect and wrong and you know rebutting that and showing them and giving them facts and so forth um and it can be challenging because some people come willingly to that they've had that catalyst personally where they've come to realize that um what they've learned in school was incorrect or what their parents told them wasn't the truth of the matter. And so they've taken steps to understand and to relearn and other people haven't had that yet. So it's very much individual. It can be unsettling. It can be off-putting and um, it can be quite confronting when you come against people that have such deeply rooted racist beliefs and ideologies, um, particularly that idea of, that we are better off for what has happened historically in our country's invasion. And I just think you, 
there's also obviously clearly a lack of awareness of the current injustices that continue to affect our families and communities today. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree. And, and I think, you know, what we are taught in school is so far from the truth. Um, it's horrifying. And for people to base a lot of their opinion or ideas based on that, it's, it's, it's a missed opportunity. And I think this is where early childhood education um, can really make a difference uh, moving forward. And as educators, we have a responsibility to um, not stand for that type of behaviour. Uh, and you don't have to make confrontation around it if, you know, if you don't want to and things like that. And, and I don't mean, you know, go and start a punch on or anything yeah, <laughs> like yeah. that at all. There are definitely ways that we can learn uh, to be able to stand in righteousness in terms of um, protecting the rights of young children to know. Uh, and I'm not saying that we need to go into details with little children about the atrocities that happen. That's not age appropriate. Uh, but we definitely can say that, um, you know, learning this information and, and learning about country and learning the positive impact um you know this country was well looked after before we got here um and it could be <laughs> better looked after if if we were able to listen to indigenous ways of of looking after country um a lot a lot more and i i think educators really have a a, a duty to ensure that what they're sharing is um in a positive light Mm. Uh, moving forward and and you know there is that particularly in the older older generation where um and I, I see it a lot um with with the you know the 60s and, and some 70s born people that there's just this and they're not even aware of it they're not even aware of the the depth of no they're not they're totally not they're not aware they've never had that sort of something that sort of made them question that what they've yes. brought, been brought up believing to be true is actually incorrect. And I think for me, I've learned to pick my battles, but I do believe, like, as you said, you need to advocate, you need to stand up and it's not about being physical. It's not about any of that sort of stuff. It's about education. You know, education is the strongest form of, you know, advocacy that there is. Um, and I feel that it's that that will see those ripple effects. And there's so many families that will tell me that they've learnt so much from their three and four-year-old children about Aboriginal culture and yes. history because we're really lucky in our profession that we've got these opportunities to share and to unlearn and relearn. And a lot of professions, they simply don't. So they've never had that um, moment where they've, had, where they've had to question, you know, yeah. what they've been told and what they've been taught. So it's it can be deep rooted for a lot of our families. And I think when families say, well, why are you doing all this Aboriginal stuff? Sometimes they can say, well, why? What's the big fuss about Aboriginal stuff? You know, I'm so sick of all this Aboriginal stuff. Or sometimes it's genuinely asking, well, why are you doing it? Yeah. And so you need to be able to answer that. You know, yes. what is why? Why are you doing what you were doing? You know, is it about, you can simply say, well, the early years learning framework and the code of ethics and the national quality standards requires me to, which is the truth. It's not an optional extra. It's not based on your, your enthusiasm or your personal interest. You're required to do it. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a part of your job. So that, that 
quite simply can be your response if if you want. And the other point is, is like, of course, it's about, it's about belonging. It's about identity. It's about education. It's about celebrating. It's about respecting our country's First Nations people. It's about anti-discrimination, anti-racism, anti, um, uh, anti-bias. It's about reconciliation. It's about social justice. I mean, the, the list goes on and on and on. Yeah. But how articulate are you in sharing what your why is? Have you considered that and have you put it out there with your families um, to bring them along on that journey with you? And that's really important that you share what you were doing and why you were doing it and that they're part of that. Yeah, absolutely. And and this is all comes down to how you embed this into your program. And this is where I was saying at the very beginning, you know, I just started small with something on the daily that I could do that I felt comfortable doing. And then I increased my learning and the things that I did. And I shared that gently with the families and, you know, they were all okay with it and and came on board with it. But I know some educators have faced opposition in the past and it's a difficult thing, particularly when you're in your home to be questioned like that. Mm. Um, But I think embedding it into your program and just standing proudly in that and saying, well, you know, maybe that isn't the place for you then if that's going to be a trigger for you because this is what I believe children should be learning. And it is, as you say, it's part of the requirements of our role. And to shy away from it um, for any reason isn't really acceptable. So we have to, instead of saying why you can't do it, look for the things that you can do and look for the things that give purpose and meaning because that's going to take away from that tokenism and and all those sorts of things. So embedding into your program is really important and there's such a variety of ways and means to do that, including accessing Curry curriculum uh, and and other forms um, of, of education that you can provide. But for educators that may be regional or remote um, or anyone really, Jess, how, how do you go about encouraging people to um, embed uh, Indigenous perspectives into their programs? Well, I think you've given a really good example as a starting point is that, you know, you're not an arty person, um, but you really enjoy gardening. So you chose something that you were already confident in doing that you enjoyed doing with children. And that was your starting point. And I think once, whether that's cooking or music or dancing or reading stories, um, identifying what it is that you're passionate about and starting there, I think helps because it becomes easier. And once you develop your confidence in one area, it becomes simpler to move it out into other aspects of your program. Um, I do think that you need to have the vision and the ideas of what it looks like. So yeah, the training is available. We have a pre-recorded webinar called Embedding Aboriginal Perspectives, which um, has lots of ideas of what you can do. And we've also going to attach a resource audit to the show notes of our podcast, which shows, um, I guess, like different places and spaces that you may have set up in your environment to consider the opportunities that culture could be embedded in construction and in dramatic play, for example. Um, So that's a good little tool for you to, to use to critically reflect on your environment and opportunities that you have to be embedding culture in your program. We also have a Facebook group, which is the 
the Kuri Curriculum Educator Community, and I suggest educators join it. You'll see that um, our community shares posts daily of ways that they are including culture in their program. We use a hashtag system. So, for example, you would write hashtag space. This week, the children are interested in space, and this is how we're including an Aboriginal perspective, and there will be some pictures. And it also means that if your children are interested in space and you're looking for ideas, you can just type into the group search hashtag space and all the ideas that have you know come before you will appear and it's just a really easy way that we're filing these ideas and resources mm. to make it easy for our community to find them so heaps of information there for you um uh, what else would I suggest that you do? On our website at the moment, we're actually running a family daycare educator competition where we're encouraging educators to share what they are doing because we know that there is no one way to include culture in your program. It's different for your community, for your interests, for your families, for your children, for your spaces and your environment. There's heaps of variables as to why it can look different. So we're encouraging educators to share ways that they are including culture in their program to go in the running for winning some prizes. So we've got a few entries in there already. So check out that gallery and see what is possible, you know, and be inspired by other educators. And I feel the more that we can encourage educators in our communities to share what they are doing, that is really what is the biggest motivator for, yeah. for, for others that are, are at that beginning point. Yeah, well, I mean, within Rainbow Bridge, I've been chatting with Brody and Catherine over in West Coast Family Daycare in WA, um, and they are running a beautiful program over there uh, with Indigenous perspectives and and whatnot. They're working on a um, a, a diary that can help educators as well, which um, is really exciting to know about. But in our conversations, we um, discussed sharing uh, an animal uh, between the services. So they've got a little um, a quokker, I think it is, and we've got a turtle over on our side being that we're saltwater people over here. Um, and our, they're going to travel between all our family daycare educators. Mm -hmm. So our, our turtle will come up the east coast of Australia and then head over to WA and their quokka is going to go over from WA and come over here. And there's a book that will go with them so that the, the story can be, you know, um, shared from both sides and that little turtle is going to have this incredible adventure and, and share information from the east coast of Australia to our little friends over in WA. Um, and we've also done that within our service too, because we operate in Queensland and New South Wales. So we've got a female doll that was made for, by um, the beautiful, I went to the Collective Family Daycare Conference um, earlier this year. And then Sabrina is an Indigenous educator who has branched out to make handmade crafts. And she made these beautiful Aboriginal dolls um, that I have uh, both a male and a female and some beautiful fish uh, and so he, one of our educators has the male doll and three fish and another educator in Queensland has our female doll and three fish and we're trying to get names for them now so that we get, um, you know, something that's that's relevant to where our dolls are. And they will travel with a book uh, and share the adventures and the journeys that they have with each family daycare educator and it'll end up going, uh, you know, many times over the years through our entire service, which is um, a really gentle way of getting educators to think outside the box because each educator looks at it differently and their story and what they share uh, in our book 
is going to inspire other educators to go, oh, I didn't even think about that, you know, and, oh, what what happens in my area on, on country in my area so that I can share that with the other educators and children within our service um, because it's important It's it's and it shows the diversity of the, the lands that we live on uh, and, and it will encourage educators to really look differently and from different perspectives uh, rather than, you know, if if you're if you have mental blocks around things, you tend to just kind of look in one train of thought. Whereas when you can be brought have your you know your your thinking broadened and expanded, it allows for so much more information to come in. So um, that's one way that we're looking to embed uh, indigenous perspectives within our service. Um, so yeah, I, I love that's awesome. I think it really gives people that vision of all the different possibilities and it's such a nice way for children to be able to connect with something that's tangible there with that idea of like a traveling mascot um, and being able to see the diversity of all the different communities that the two schemes work across. That's such a cool idea. I really love that. Yeah. Um, so I guess that sort of as we come to the end of uh, our little yarn today, I just wanted to ask, who do you think in terms of the schemes, and I know that you have some Indigenous children, some non-Indigenous children, but really who do you see benefits when we embed Aboriginal perspectives in our program? Oh, everybody. Yeah. Everybody. I learned so much from looking at different perspectives and it really humbles me to remember that I am just this tiny dot on the face of this earth that has been going for millions of years before we came here. We'll continue to go for millions of years after we leave. And for me to open my mind and then share that information with the other children, my mind got cracked open in my 30s. Imagine if my mind had been cracked open from toddler stage and and it wasn't a learning experience so much as just something that was the normal and they take that through the entirety of their lives that's where we institute change and we institute it from such a young age and in a gentle way that benefits everybody everybody forevermore <laughs> yeah well said well said I I couldn't agree more and look at bare minimum I think like these children that are coming through are going to grow knowing so much more and doing so much better than what any of us did and their families and people within their sphere of influence our children are now these little ripples that are going out and influencing all those that are around them which I think is really incredible to see our youngest people being these changes you know in the way that people think and though and they are becoming the catalyst for change within their own communities and changing the rhetoric that's being used and I think that's so powerful um and amazing absolutely the emotional intelligence that children are coming through with now it's so different from when I was a kid in the 80s it, it, you know it and and our awareness and what we've learnt moving forward uh, and what we can share, it's it's insurmountable. You know, we have to, we have a responsibility and we have a duty of care to encourage children to look after the land and what better way to do it than to learn from the people that did it for a long time before we got here and kept it so beautiful. Exactly yeah. right. 
Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Victoria, for yarning with me. I hope um, both our listeners have walked away with some ideas and and tips of what they can do to get started and really start considering how they could be embedding Aboriginal perspectives in their program. Um, For my listeners that want to know more about you, where can they find you? They can find us at www.bigheartededucation.com. We also have Instagram, which is Big Hearted Education, and Facebook, again, is Big Hearted Education. Uh, We've got a number of resources that um, can help family daycare educators uh, to be able to offer their programs. that it's all designed for family daycare educators, basically. <laughs> so, so they can find us there. And for big hearted education listeners, where can they find your info? Yeah, so Kuri Curriculum, we are Kuri Curriculum everywhere, um, Insta, Facebook, our website, curriculum.com. And we'll link all of our social things for both of us in the show notes anyway, as well as our little resource um, auditing tool for you, um, all that have been listening in. But I'd like to thank you, Victoria, for joining. And the two of us have some really amazing things that will be developed from our collaboration. So I'm no doubt that you'll be back on the podcast at some point. Oh, Um, yes. (laughs) So everyone needs to just watch this space. Yeah, looking forward to it. Some big, exciting things happening. And uh, it's great to work with other women who are so inspiring and who are really looking to help raise education within Australia. That's one of our big goals in, in big-hearted education. And when I met you, Jess, it was it was really exciting and all the light bulby things were popping off left, right and centre. So there's lots of exciting things coming and I really look forward to working more with you uh, in over the coming years. Yeah, for sure. Likewise. Hey. All right. Well, thanks everyone for listening in and you can tune in to another one of our episodes coming up at Big Hearted or at Kuri Curriculum Educator Yarns. Bye for now, everyone. Thank you. Bye. Hi, friend. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you got a lot out of today's episode. When we work on our own, we can sometimes be in a silo. So having new perspectives and different ways of looking at things is vitally important for the growth of our individual selves and our professional selves as well. We love feedback. So if you felt compelled to share what you thought of today's podcast, we would love to read your thoughts. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcast. That helps our podcast to get out to the wider community. And the more that hear what we have to share, we think the better it is. Thanks so much, friend. We'll see you next time. Till then, big love.